0: Day on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farrakh. Contentment does not come when I
1: get that or this. My contentment is not predicated on getting more. In fact, I would argue the opposite is true. The more you get, the more discontent you are. And he who loves money never has money enough, the proverb says. Oh, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And it's seductive and it's intoxicating.
0: You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of 1 Timothy. Contentment doesn't come from all the things you can buy or touch in this world. As you listen to today's message with Pastor J.D., take some time to evaluate what you value. Is it things? Is it money? Is it status? If what you value is held higher than that of God, ask Him to help you have a spirit of contentment in Him. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. The Christian should
1: be the best employee in any company, in any business. The Christian should stand out miles ahead. Forget it. If you're making them look bad, you know what you do? Here's a... Oh, boy, i got to be careful on this one. So... The story is told of Billy Sunday. He was the evangelist back in the 1800s and early 1900s before Billy Graham, Billy Sunday. Something about Billy, I guess. Anyway, famous, you know, evangelist, and he would have these, you know, large crusades, and he had a woman come up to him after one of his evangelistic outreaches, and she said to him, Preacher, you rub me the wrong way. Now, when somebody says that to me, I just... You know, being the godly, loving pastor that I am, I usually say something like, Get thee behind me, Satan. But I don't. (laughs) No, I don't. Sort of. But, so he he says to her, No, if I rub you the wrong way, you need to turn around. You know when you pet a cat the wrong way? (laughs) You need to turn the cat around. You're petting him the right way. So that's what you say. To your co-workers who you're making look bad when you work heartily with all of your heart as unto the Lord. Well, <laughs> no, I'm not gonna come down to what you're doing, you need to come up to what I'm doing as unto the Lord. The second one is in verses three through eight and it's the content heart. <laughs> I don't know if it's possible to overstate the importance of what Paul is writing to Timothy here concerning contentment. It's interesting, and I want you to notice this, that Paul would list conceit, quarrels, this is quite a list, envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction in the context of contentment. What's up with that? Well, here's what I'm thinking. All of the above, everything on that list, they are all the ingredients that are needed for the recipe of discontentment, ungodliness, and as we're about to see shortly, all kinds of evil think this through with me. If I'm content, I'm not going to be conceited. If I'm content, I'm not going to quarrel. And certainly if I'm content, I'm not going to be envious. Envy is the enemy of contentment. Is it not the covetousness that makes us discontent? Oh my goodness, talking about advertising The whole advertising industry is based on that. Do you realize that? You know, many years ago I was in the car business. I'm still saved. Don't stone me to death. But So whenever we would get a new shipment of new cars, we would get the invoices from the factory. That's what the dealer pays for the car. And on that invoice, there was without exception a line item called advertising and get this, this is back in the 90s, just to put it into perspective. The average price per car for advertising, $500. What? Per car? That's a lot of money. It adds up. You know what that means? That means that every car you and I buy, well, not me, because I, I don't buy new cars. I, <laughs> not to, Okay, I got myself into this one. Let me see if the Lord can help me get out of it. If you have a new car, God bless you. Praise the Lord. Not good enough? Okay, try this one. (laughs) It's not what you have, it's what has you. It's not what's in your garage, it's what's in your heart. There, are we good now? (laughs) Okay, so back to the advertising. $500 per car in the 90s. That means that every new car that is manufactured, there is a $500 cost for the advertising that you see on television. It must work because the dealer pays for it, and then you in turn pay for it. $500 per car? Oh, it works, and it's worth it to them. You know why? You're sitting there watching TV, and here comes this commercial. And I don't know what it is, but they always pick this, I mean, are they even real? This beautiful woman, this handsome guy, you know, and they've got the biggest smiles you've ever seen on a human being. They're so happy. And you know why they're happy? Because they bought that brand new car. And you think to yourself, I'm not that happy. And the reason I'm not that happy is because I don't have that new car. I know what I'll do. I will go out and buy that new car so that I too can be happy like them. Come on. You're not that naive, right? Here's what happens. The whole thing is based on discontentment. I'll take it a step further. The discontentment that is sowed with those advertisements is such that you will look at your old car, and you will despise it. You don't make me that happy. Look at you. You're old. No wonder I'm not happy. I'm going to replace you. I know this is silly, but it's true. So, (laughs) I used to, my business was that I would actually provide a buying service and I worked it through the Automobile Association, AAA, because the members were usually widows whose husbands had passed away and they're like a lamb to the slaughter when they walk into that dealership because their husbands had always bought their cars for them. So it was actually a business and a ministry to widows. So basically I provided them a service, flat fee, and I would do all the negotiating for them so that they would not be taken advantage of. And so I taught these... <laughs> I have no intention of going this far, but maybe I need to. So I taught these seminars at the local automobile club, and it was titled, How Not to Buy a Car. And I had somebody ask me one time, how much money have you saved someone with this service? And I just... I told them, I said, I saved somebody one time (gasps) $25,000. How did you do that? Well, by the time I got done with them, they did not buy a new car. (laughs) I saved them $25,000. That was the average price of a new car at the time. I'm not trying to be silly here. Because what I would tell people is, you must have saw that ad. Yeah, I saw the same ad. Oh, I have to tell you, I was... And I'm in the business. I'm looking at this thing going, yeah, how much are those payments? And I was getting swooped in and sucked in, and it was so mesmerizing and hypnotizing. They have this music. It's so deliberate. I mean, you're just, you're getting lullabied into a, I will buy a new car. It doesn't even have to be subliminal. And so I would tell people, here's what you're going to do. It's all discontentment. You you too want to save $25,000? It's called contentment. Yeah, but look at my car. Oh, cool. Here's what you're going to do. First of all, you're going to go wash the thing. (laughs) Look at the thing. Go wash it. Buy some new floor mats. It stinks. No wonder. And, you know, maybe get an accessory for it. And then, if you've got to have that new car smell, oh, they get you on that one. You know what that new car smell is, right? Plastic. Go buy some plastic and just smell it. Put it in the car, under the dash, something. Envy. You're covetous. It's the enemy of contentment. And isn't it any wonder that it leads to striving? Malicious talk. You know, when you talk down to somebody, you're in effect lifting yourself up. Evil suspicions, constant friction. That's interesting. Show me a content Christian. I'll show you a peaceful Christian. It's a life that is not marked with any of this. I mean, again, look at this list. Conceit, quarrels, envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction? Like, I need that. Or as we say, I need that like I need a hole in the head. I don't need that. I don't want that. Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, verse 10 says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned, key word, learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then the most famous verse, well-known, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, I learned contentment. It wasn't easy, it took time. But for Paul to say that he had learned it presupposes that he was teachable, that he would learn it. You know, some of us, as we say, never learn. You'll never learn. I know. I don't know what it is about me. Thick head, stubborn, stiff necked. You know who you are. Thick headed. I never learn. Well, this is one thing that every single one of us would do well to learn. The secret of contentment. This last one I want us to spend the remainder of our time on in verses 9 and 10. I think you'll see why here in a moment. It's that of the undivided heart. Verse 10 is one of the most, if not the most, misquoted verses in all of the Bible. You oftentimes hear it quoted like this money is the root of all evil. Yeah, bad money. No, it doesn't say that. Money is neutral. It's amoral. You can use money to do something immoral, or you can use money to do something moral. It's not the money, it's what you do with the money. Okay? So if money is not the root of all evil, what is the root of all kinds of evil, as Paul says it? It's the love of money. You love it. It doesn't love you back, by the way. But you love it, and that's the problem. And here's the thing. I know this is deeply profound, but verse 9 comes before verse 10. (laughs) Told you it was deeply profound. Verse 9 has the why behind the what as it relates to the love of money. Notice Paul says that it starts with the temptation, and it's a trap. It's this trap of wanting to get rich. Right there you have a problem, because it, it presupposes it has at its core this belief, this notion that if I had that, then I'll be content and happy. And you can fill in the blanks. See, contentment does not come when I get that or this. My contentment is not predicated on getting more. In fact, I would argue the opposite is true. The more you get, the more discontent you are. And he who loves money never has money enough, the proverb says. Oh, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And it's seductive, and it's intoxicating the pursuit of money because of the love of money. It's a temptation, and it's a trap, this wanting to get rich. And here's what happens. It plunges people into foolish desires, ruin and destruction. Why? This is one of those places where I think it is very important to ask the why question. Okay Lord, when you're reading Scripture, there's oftentimes that time when you need to say, okay, why Lord did this passage rise to the level of being included in the pages of Holy Writ. It's here for a reason. I know that all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's given for a reason. Sometimes it's for instruction. Sometimes it's for rebuke. I don't like that part. You know, we talk about searching the Scriptures. Well, when you search the Scriptures, the Scriptures search you too. You think about it like that? You get into the Word, the Word gets into you. You know, we uh, study the Scriptures, but the truth of the matter is the Scriptures are studying us. And God, through His Word, will put His finger on that place in our hearts, because He sees the heart. He knows the heart. We don't. We only look at the outward appearance. He knows what's in our heart, and He knows when we have a divided heart. A divided heart is roommates with a double mind, being double-minded, and I'll explain that more in a moment. But see, this is the problem, because here's money over here, getting rich over here, and then here's the Lord over here. And it's a constant struggle between the two. And I love the proverb that says basically this. This is a a paraphrase. What you pursue will pursue you. By the way, Lord willing, next week, the Apostle Paul is going to continue as he writes to Timothy and say, flee this, but pursue this instead. I love that. You'll find that oftentimes in God's Word where God will say, flee this, pursue this instead. Because what happens is, what you pursue will pursue you. You start this pursuit, this insatiable pursuit and quest to get rich. (laughs) It's not long before what you pursue is fast pursuing you. And that's where the trap comes in. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. This is to me, well of course it's the well-known and famous Sermon on the Mount. One has humorously referred to it as the Sermon on the Amount, because it's dealing with this matter of earthly mammon, money, possessions. Kind of interesting, actually. All the way through to the end of chapter 6, Jesus is actually providing the cure for worry. Are you a worrier? I've confessed very openly that I'm a recovering worry I have a PhD in worry by the way. I'll have you know. I mean I got really good at it. God's doing a profound work in my life. I'm <laughs> so grateful by the grace of God. He's delivered me from my worry, my anxiety, but man, I could worry right up there with the best of them. And I got so good at it that when I would run out of things to worry about in my own life, I'd ask you if there's something I could worry about for you. I mean, I was really good at it. 1995, since I'm waxing nostalgic, (laughs) when I was, you know, in the business world, I was closing out at the end of the year my books, and I in my devotional, created a list of 95 things I worried about in 1995. Oh, pastor, you're right, you really did worry. Yeah, 95 things. And how did I get that list of 95? From my prayer list. Oh my goodness, all those sleepless nights. I just went back through my prayer list and my prayer journal. I'm going, I worried about that. Yeah. Oh, didn't come to pass. I know almost makes you mad, you know. It's kind of like, I wasted all that time worrying about this, and it never happened. Yeah. Do you realize that about 90% of what you worry about never happens? (laughs) Some of you are going, you worriers. And again, you know who you are. You're going, wait, what about the other 10%? It's going to happen, I know it. Wait, (laughs) the other 10% of what you worry about that does happen, God gives you that all-sufficient grace at the time you need it. And it's never as bad as you fashioned it in your imagination and your mind. And isn't it interesting how when it comes to worry, you paint this, I mean, unthinkable, horrific scenario. And here's the thing with worry. It takes those two words, what if, what about, And you start filling in those blanks, and the devil is all too ready to take you down the road of worry as far as he can into the future. And isn't it true that we worry about the future? What does the future hold? What am I going to do? What if? What about? And Satan's right there, I know, what are you going to do? I know this is bad. I know it's really bad. By the time you're done with it, you've taken something that God's already going to take care of. And you've made it this monumental, massive, you know, scenario. You're like, this is how it is. It's it. I'm never going to make it. It's Like the Lord's going, what are you doing? Why are you doing that to yourself? I've heard it said that one minute worrying is one minute wasted. Paul in Philippians says, worry about nothing. It's in the double negative, if I'm saying it correctly. It's more like this, don't worry about a thing, not one single thing. And Jesus here in Matthew 6 is giving us the cure for worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. If God's going to take care of that bird that you look up in the air, do you see that bird building barns to stuff worms in it, to provide for that? Do you see him worried about that? No.
0: We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. If you haven't yet found a church home, we'd like to encourage you to make that a priority. A church family is a source of support, comfort, and most importantly, faithful prayer warriors. Paul wrote the book of First Timothy with this in mind. He knew how important it was to have the support and prayers of other believers in Christ church is also a place you can serve and encourage others, too. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join our church family. At Calvary Chapel Kaneohe, we meet on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website in spiritandtruthradio.com. While you're there, be sure to check out Pastor J.D.'s additional teachings as well as his Mideast Prophecy Updates, an accurate look at what the Bible has to say about this time in our world. You can also find Pastor J.D.'s ABCs of Salvation there. This is a great tool to share the simplicity of the gospel message with friends and family. Again, that website is inspiritandtruthradio.com. As we continue to study the wisdom from the book of 1 Timothy with Pastor JD, we hope you've been encouraged to live out your faith in a new way. The Bible holds information, encouragement, and instruction that will be beneficial to you on your faith journey. So keep diving in. Well, that's all we have time for today, but be sure to join us next time for more from God's Word right here on In Spirit and Truth.